glad you could join us for these special episodes of the UGA RUF podcast. The audio you're about to hear is from our spring 2021 retreat. Justin Clement, the former UGA RUF campus minister, was our speaker. And the audio you're about to hear is from his second talk on Saturday morning, Freedom from Our Enemy, The Soul Rest of Jesus' Yoke. Enjoy. Well, if there's one thing that uh, COVID is teaching all of us is that I think busyness can manifest itself in a lot of different ways. Uh, For some, it's constant activity still. COVID hasn't changed anything. But I also realize for many of us during COVID, it's lots of time knowing what am I supposed to do. Um, In particular, numbing out on video games, numbing out on Netflix, we just don't know what to do. Whether it's excessive work and meetings or just numbing out because we don't know what to do, it lands us in the same place. A profound sense of soul restlessness. So we said last night if busyness really is an enemy to our communion with Jesus and slowing down and simplifying our lives is the solution, what does that actually mean? In the middle of online learning and social distancing and political polarization in our digital world, what does it look like now as a Christian to follow Jesus, to stay hot on his heels? I want us to look at Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 28. These are Jesus's words to his disciples, and these are Jesus's words to you this morning. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm going to pray for us, but before I pray, I'm going to have a number of seconds of complete silence intentionally. Let's quiet our hearts, quiet our minds, quiet our voices that we might hear from the Lord this morning. Okay? Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that in our time together that you would allow all of us to see the restlessness of our hearts and to see that Jesus invites us to take the yoke of busyness off of our shoulders and to allow us to carry that easy yoke of rest and delight It is only ours in Jesus. We cannot do this ourselves. It is all grace. Holy Spirit, we need you to open our hearts and our minds to receive from you. I have no power. My words are silly and and futile. I'm a sinful man. 
Lord, I pray that you would use me as a conduit of your grace for my friends here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask you a question. It's not a trick question, and I'm not insulting anyone's intelligence. Who is Jesus? Some of you might say, well, he's the son of God. He's the lamb of God. He's a man from Nazareth. Maybe a carpenter. He's the Messiah. All of those are very good answers and totally true. Jesus was also a rabbi, which is a teacher. And in fact, if you were living in Galilee where Jesus was during the first century, and you heard about Jesus speaking at your local synagogue, traveling around, rabbi would have been the very first category that you would have thought of, not the other ones. Teacher. Jesus wasn't the only traveling rabbi in the first century. Hundreds and hundreds of rabbis were going around long before Jesus' incarnation and actually long after him as well. And all of these rabbis had been around and they had at least two things in common. They, all these rabbis had disciples and all rabbis had a yoke. What in the world is a yoke? A yoke is a wood brace that teamed up livestock. You've probably seen these old school pictures of two horses or or two oxes carrying a cart or carrying a plow, and they're teamed up together going in the same direction. And it's a wooden frame. Now, why in the world would a rabbi carry around an agrarian object, a tool for working in the yard? It's not a real yoke. It's a metaphor. A yoke was a common first century idiom or figure of speech for a rabbi's way of reading God's law. Don't think of a yoke like a textbook. Like, here's this rabbi's ideas on things. It's much more integrated. The yoke was every rabbi's interpretation of what it meant to be human, of what it meant to live the good life, of what it meant to follow after God. The rabbi's yoke was his vision of shouldering the heavy weight of life, marriage, prayer, money, sex, conflict resolution, and justice. Here's one example of a rabbi's yoke from uh, 200 BC to 200 AD. Um, whoever take this was originally in Hebrew, obviously. This is, this is me reading in English. Whoever takes upon himself the yoke of Torah, from him will be taken away the yoke of government and the yoke of worldly care. Notice that refrain of yoke, this common idea, an interpretation of the world. If hundreds of rabbis had a yoke, then what made Jesus' yoke so original? All kinds of rabbis had yokes. All kinds of rabbis had interpretations of world and, and God. What made his yoke so unique? Look at verse 30. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus had an easy yoke. I love what one author says about this. He says this, What helium does to a balloon, Jesus' yoke does to his followers. We are buoyed along in life by his endless gentleness and supremely accessible lowliness. He doesn't simply meet us at our place of need. He lives in our place of need. Everyone buy that book. It's not on the book table, but you buy it. Gentle and lowly. Full confession, I have not read every page of it. My wife has, but the selections that I have read are amazing. 
Look at verse 30. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Every rabbi had two things. A yoke, which is his understanding of teaching and the world and ethics and all that kind of stuff integrated into theology and lifestyle. And every rabbi had a disciple. They had a group of disciples. That You couldn't be a rabbi and not have followers. Like that was sort of like a non-starter. What is a disciple? Have you ever heard of the phrase uh, semantic saturation? I was a psychology major, loved that kind of stuff. But semantic saturation is a psychological phenomenon in which repetition causes a word or a phrase to temporarily lose its meaning. If you say the same word over and over and over again like 20 times in a row, they don't know why, but suddenly the word loses its meaning. The word disciple, in my mind, is like a spiritual semantic saturation word. Many of you here have heard that word one million times, and the word has lost its meaning for many of us. The word is mathetes in Greek. It's disciple, it's apprentice, it's learner, it's follower. There's a deep Old Testament Hebrew background and culture to that word. A disciple learned the truths from the rabbi and the lifestyle that those words required. The message of the rabbi and the manner and pace of life of the rabbi as well. We're constantly taken in. I'm not a big NFL fan, but I think we all can agree that Tom Brady is the GOAT. He's an amazing quarterback. Um, again, not a super – but here's the bottom line about Tom Brady. That guy's just a winner. And he is um, – I want you to imagine uh, if, you're a, if you're like a, an aspiring quarterback from the University of Georgia who, who gets a chance – to follow Tom Brady around for an entire summer, 24-7, unhindered, unfiltered access. Everything, watching his form, watching his follow-through, watching his film studies, watching how he relates to his teammates in the locker room, how does he relate to his wife and his kids, how does he relate to his agent – Picking up not only his words, his ideas, but his manner of life. How does he handle conflict? How does he handle reporters? His body language, everything. That is what it means to be a disciple of Tom Brady. The point of Christian discipleship is no different, but the difference is we're following Jesus. All of our life we're following and watching and looking at our rabbi, not just his theology, his ideas and his teaching and his Bible verses, but actually looking at the scriptures and say, how did he actually pace his life? What did it look like for him to live as a real human being? Not just the theology, but also his way of life. Because only when we put both of those two together, his teaching and his way of life, do we actually find rest for our souls. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. This is an invitation this morning from Jesus for all of us who are tired and burned out and stressed out. And if you're like me, behind on my to-do list already, 
the anxious, the overwhelmed, and the numbed out. Jesus' invitation for us is to take his easy yoke off, or take his easy yoke and put it on our shoulders, to travel through this weekend and this semester at his side, letting him dictate the pace of life. To learn from him how to carry the weight of life with ease. It sounds really great. I I want more of that in my life. And I imagine many of you want more of that in your life. But here's the reality. John Mark Comer says this so well in his book. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, you must adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Time out. Remember what I said last night. We're not talking about salvation. I'm not saying that you have, to, you have to live like Jesus to become a Christian. I'm saying if you claim to be a Christian and you are following your rabbi hot on his heels, it must show up in our lifestyle. Not just our theology, but the actual way that we live throughout the day when you're walking across Baxter. The things that you say no to. The things that you say yes to. Not ideas, but the actual pace of life. We read the stories of Jesus, we see his joy and his peace, and we say, I want that, I need that, I want that soul rest, but are we willing to adopt the lifestyle? And I believe this is a major American church blind spot. Jesus says in John 14, 6, classic verse, you probably, if you were ever in a youth group, you probably memorized this one. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus talking about himself. No one comes to the Father except by me. We talk about that as a way of salvation, a way of getting into God's family, which is totally appropriate. But the idea of a way is the idea of a path, of a walk, of being with him. The way of Jesus is a way of life. Listen to how one pastor of 50 years that I greatly respect talks about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. This guy... 50 years of being a pastor, of walking alongside people. Listen to his observation. The Jesus way wedded to the Jesus truth brings about the Jesus life. But Jesus as the truth gets far more attention than Jesus as the way. Jesus as the way is the most frequently evaded metaphor among the Christians with whom I have worked with For 50 years as a North American pastor, could we be missing something? What does it mean to slow down and adopt Jesus' way of life, not just his theology? What are the rhythms, routines, and practices and micro decisions that make up all of our days? How do we organize our time and our money, our relationships, our priorities? That's what a way of life is. When we have that low-level anxiety, insomnia, maybe stressed out, stomach hurting, sweaty palms, we're walking through the day and we're like, I literally haven't thought about God one second today. I'm just thinking about the econ test and then the presentation I'm making next and then my club meeting that night and then I got to get early to large groups. I got to set up chairs and the list goes on and on and on. When we have that, those symptoms of anxiety and stress and agitation, it should feel like check engine lights on your car. 
um, you know, when you're driving, you're looking on the dashboard. Yeah, there you go. You got a nice little image there. You're driving, and you see those. When you see that check engine light, it's telling you it's time to pull over. It's time to pop the hood. It's time to get curious and see what's going on inside. I want to argue to you, God created us with those emotions and those realities, the anxiety, those things that we're experiencing are symptoms. There are spiritual check engine lights on the dashboard of our life saying, pull over, pop the hood, and ask ourselves, what's going on inside of us? Let's get curious. What is the solution to our busy souls? Not just stopping, or don't stop at agreeing with Jesus' theology. It's actually submitting to his pace of life, his habits, his practices, just like a legendary Super Bowl quarterback following his every move, following his every action. That's what Jesus invites us to do as Christians, to follow him. Jesus does not offer an escape. I think the world promises and pledges an escape, kind of a release valve from the stress and the pressure that all of us are experiencing. Jesus never promised an easy life. Jesus promised an easy yoke. That all of the other yokes that we carry on our shoulders, achievement, appearance, popularity, you name it, are all the yokes that weigh us down. Jesus offered his disciples a whole new way to bear the weight of our humanity with ease. Like two oxen bound together, Jesus does the heavy lifting. And we adjust to his pace, his rhythms, and his cadence. Again, I want to mention, like I said last night, Jesus, is, Jesus was not like a, he didn't live an easy life. He didn't, uh, he lived a very, very full life. I mean, he got up early in the morning, you name it. Like he, it was full. He got tired. He got interrupted. He wasn't busy though. And he wasn't stressed out. Jesus was on his way. What a beautiful story. Jesus was on his way to go heal a very important big time person. Uh, a person's daughter who was 12 years old and she was super sick. His name is Jairus. And while he's on his way across town to go heal Jairus' daughter, he gets interrupted. He gets interrupted by this woman who is at the end of her ropes, who had been bleeding uncontrollably for 12 years, and nobody could help her. And Jesus was her only hope. But Jesus was moving toward Jairus' daughter, and Jesus allowed himself to be interrupted. And he moved toward that woman with kindness, with humility. And healed her. So lest we think that Jesus was just like this robot going in one direction. No, he had lots of time in his schedule for interruptions and things. Jesus got tired. One of the most remarkable passages uh, is when Jesus is in the boat with his disciples. And there's a crazy storm going on. And his disciples have to wake him up. Jesus lived that full life. But where did he get that ability, that reality to be able to be fully present? Again, it comes from this, this rootedness in the moment and connectedness to God 
other people and himself weren't the byproducts of a laid-back personality or a pre-Wi-Fi world. They were the outgrowth of a way of life. Let's think about this in a little bit more detail. What, what actually did Jesus do? Like, Take the time. If you're curious at all, pick up the Gospel of John or pick up Matthew, Mark, and Luke. If you've never checked it out before... And just scan and think of and like write down what Jesus actually does. It's actually fascinating. We believe as Christians Jesus is fully God. But we also believe he's fully human. Like not human-like, like fully human. He is the picture of the man's man. He is a man, fully human, God in the flesh. What would he do? Think about his mornings. Mark 1, he would get up early. He would go off all alone to a quiet place to be with his father, beginning the day in silence. Overnighters. Sometimes he would go away overnight alone to get away from the crowds and even to get away from his disciples. Mark 14, he says, disciples, you guys go this way. I'm going to go over here and I'll see you all tomorrow. Uh, Jesus, are you sure that's a good idea? I got this. Um, Sleep. More than once, as I mentioned, the disciples needed to wake Jesus up. If you need sleep, that's a great thing. I hope you get plenty of sleep this weekend. That's a wonderful thing. Unhurried meals. Jesus, this was kind of Jesus' jam. He was really into unhurried meals. Enjoying a nice long meal with friends, creating space for in-depth conversation. Enjoy just being together. Something else that Jesus did that like described his way of life is Sabbath. Sabbath, he would weekly set an entire day apart for nothing but resting and worshiping and with his other followers and enjoying nature and even helping people and serving people. Mark 2 talks about that. Simplicity was another thing that described his life. Jesus was a minimalist before that was like really a thing. Matthew 8 says that foxes have holes, birds have nests, but there's nowhere for the Son of Man to rest his head. Jesus wasn't a homeowner. Jesus didn't have a 401k. Jesus was a traveling preacher that was dependent on the hospitality of the people in each town that just chose to open their homes. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not suggesting the answer is sell all your possessions and become a traveling preacher. I'm saying, do you see the principle, though, of simplicity? That there was a sense of this place is not my home. I'm not defined by the stuff I have. It's not what defines us. So here's the point. In the Gospels, Jesus put on full display an unhurried life in God, which is the easy yoke that Jesus is putting before us. Translation, being a Christian, following Jesus, not not becoming a Christian. We already talked about that. That's all grace. God does all the work. But now, as we've received all grace and we're seeking to follow after him, here's the reality. And then, I mean, I was really slow in the uptake on this. Being a disciple of Jesus is something we do. It is. It's not just a theology to believe. Being an apprentice of Jesus is a practice as much as it is a belief. And Jesus is giving us an invitation to be set free from our busyness yoke 
and to take on his yoke because he's the one who is gentle and lowly. This is an invitation to the life that Jesus has already purchased for you by his blood. He was the, he was the faithful one. He was the one that lived the perfect life. He's the one that died in our place so that we would have eternity with him, so that we would have the power and the enablement to follow him today in this life. This is a life that can only be found by moving through your life in Athens shoulder to shoulder at Jesus's pace, not your pace. One author talks about the amazing embrace and intimacy of this kind of pace of life, shoulder to shoulder with Jesus. Dane Ortland says this, that this high and holy Christ does not cringe at reaching out and touching dirty sinners and numbed sufferers. Such embrace is precisely what he loves to do. I want to just close by our time this morning by uh, sharing with you a story. I, my middle son, Gardner, is 14. And uh, early in the fall, he came home from school and he said, Hey, Dad, I made some art. And he just threw this painting that he did on the table. And he goes, and, and you could tell by his body language, he wasn't making eye contact. He was looking at the ground, he was looking away. He wanted me to see it, but he was ashamed of it. He said, It's trash, it's garbage, it's not any good. But here it is. And he just kind of walked away. And I had, you know, they said that a, a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then. That This was my one moment as a dad. I've blown it a million times. This was like my one. I could see that Gardner was disappointed. I could see also that Gardner wanted me to see what he had done. And I picked up his picture and I said, this is amazing. Can I keep it? I love this. This is absolutely incredible. And I brought that picture. This is Gardner's, this is Gardner's fish that looks like an electric eel. <laughs> of course, I didn't tell him that at the time. But I remember holding that picture saying, Gardner, this is absolutely amazing. I was like, you made this for me? I love this. I'm going to keep this in my little locker. And he goes, okay. He blew it off and he <laughs> loved it. I was reminded of this, and I really think it ties together. When we're talking about moving toward Jesus and thinking about our practices, thinking about prayer, thinking about opening the Bible, thinking about sharing something in a small group, if you are at all like me, we can tend to think, unless it's perfect, unless it's the perfect Rembrandt, or unless it's the perfect Picasso, then, like, what's the point? And we can think that God wants our perfection and our perfect calendar, and God wants us to have all our spiritual ducks in a row right now this morning on a Saturday morning in Ridge Haven. But what if our Father responds to us in similar ways. We just simply make little decisions and say, Heavenly Father, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. I love you, but I want to love you more. He welcomes you with open arms because he wants to be with you.
please don't think for a second you have to get all your ducks in a row and all the all your um, yeah that it's about perfection. It's not about perfection. It's about connection. It's about communing with the one who loves you. That is offering to take that heavy yoke off your shoulder and let him carry the heavy load. Are you ready to savor and receive that kind of love from God himself? Are you ready to create space, maybe a little bit more margin in your life to exhale? Maybe it just begins by like a baby step, one small little decision. I hope that you'll come back tonight as Casey and I are going to talk more and have a conversation about the specific practices that enable us to be able to move toward Jesus in relationship and connection and in love. But I want to give you one challenge as we're leaving. We're going to have a great time playing games and all those kind of activities this afternoon. But I want to challenge you. You're in this beautiful place, nature. Sometime today, before our evening session, I want to challenge you to take 30 minutes and go completely alone by yourself somewhere. Don't bring your iPhone. Don't bring your Bible. Don't bring anything. But just come. Maybe you can walk. Maybe you'll sit. Whatever that looks like for you. But can you just talk to God? about where you are right now. Don't come in with your expectations or agendas or I've got to have the perfect, perfect painting for you. Come as you are for 30 minutes and just be with him. And let's see what happens. Can I invite you to do that? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the easy yoke that Jesus offers to us. Thank you that all of salvation is by grace through faith. You rescued us from the pit of hell, even when we were running away from you. And now, Lord, as we are traveling through this life as Christians, shoulder to shoulder with you. Lord, I just confess it is so stinking hard for me to slow down my pace because I want to run ahead. Will you allow me to slow down my pace in every area of my life? Lord, would you allow my friends here to have a rich time of being with you today, to hear from you, to connect with you. Lord, we love you. By your spirit, will you empower us to know the height and the depth, the length and the width of the love of Christ. In Jesus' name.